Hi, this is Megan from Brooklyn, New York. Dusted is a StoryWonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash StoryWonk. Thanks. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Sarah Kate Pizan, and welcome to Dusted, your frosty nectar above the Vampire Slayer podcast. <laughs> Beer bad, you guys. We've had this discussion. <laughs> this week, we're watching episode 13 of season six of Buffy Dead Things. This is the fourth of five episodes written for Buffy by Stephen S. DeKnight. Previously, he wrote All the Way, Spiral, and Blood Ties, and he will return in a few weeks for Seeing Red, about which we shall say no more at this time. <laughs> Dead Things was directed by James A. Contner, who also previously directed the aforementioned Spiral. This is Contner's 15th of 20 episodes that he'll write for Buffy, and he still has another five episodes to do for Angel in its last two and a half seasons. Contner does the work. He's very, very good. He's pretty good, and mm-hmm. I think he does a good Good job yeah. with this episode. There's a lot of fragmented narrative, particularly mm-hmm. in the last act of this story, yes. that works really well because Contner is so skillful. Sarah, dead things. It's not a fun episode to watch. No, it's really not. In fact, uh, I watched it, you know, just a couple of hours ago and I looked at the clock and I was like, well, I could probably watch this one more time before going to record. And I just did not want to do that thing. (laughs) Emotionally exhausted. Yes. This episode does things to me that the body didn't do to me. Yeah. The body is dark and, Mm -hmm. and difficult, but this is... Yeah, exhausting, I think, is the word that I go to. Yes, I think that's a very good word. Yeah, and with the body, it's such an, it's a piece of art. Like, it's very distressing and very hard to watch, but in a very different way. It doesn't enrage me in the way this episode tends to enrage me. There are some very problematic things in this episode, though, at least in this context, the episode addresses them. Sure, yes. It leans toward them. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that as we move forward. Ultimately, though, I think this is an episode that has some profound things to say about Mm -hmm. Buffy. Some profound things to say about Buffy in season six in particular. This is, well, this is the turning point or a turning point, Mm -hmm. at least. And I'm glad that we've got here. I'm glad that we've made it this far. I'm glad that we can start the upswing now. Yes. Though we will move on all too soon into fresh tragedies. Let's get into the episode previously. Oh, you guys, previously things got bleak. Things got real bad. (laughs) Buffy and Spike, Willow and Tara, pain and misery all around. If you watch this previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer (laughs) and don't feel like a little worn out, a little Mm -hmm. wound up, a little just exhausted by it, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. It's not. Yeah, it just immediately lets you know, hey, we're not having fun today. No, nothing no. here is good. Mm-hmm. Nothing here is happy. This, this is, is not bad, going to be a, a jokey episode yeah. for Buffy. We open on the bottom floor of Spike's crypt where Buffy and Spike are recovering from their latest bout of wildly destructive sex. Things take a turn for the cozy as Buffy compliments Spike's decor and they accidentally slip into conversation. But as Buffy finally begins to leave, Spike asks her if she likes him. She says that she sometimes does but she will never trust him. And we have this odd beat with the handcuffs, Mm -hmm. which echoes to me, Joyce holding the handcuffs all the way back in band candy. Uh There's a little, I don't know, like mother, like daughter thing happening here. Okay, sure. Yeah, I don't want to delve too deep into that. That's uh, uh, a little weird, but... uh... (laughs) Well, magically manipulated mother, like magically manipulated daughter. I'll deal with that, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure where Spike found those. I'm not sure where Spike secreted those, that they weren't immediately apparent. They were under the rug, the the other rug. Yeah, Mm -hmm. with Buffy's underwear. Swept under the rug in this episode, (laughs) which is, I think, a fairly lovely metaphor. And guys, you know that I have my problems with Spike and Buffy, Mm -hmm. but there is something heartwarming and intimate Mm-hmm. about this opening scene where they're beginning to talk to each other like yeah. people though even in this moment I can't quite feel good for Buffy I completely agree I actually quite like this I mean again the chemistry between James Marsters and uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is absolutely astounding they do wonderful work together I love seeing them on screen together um, and you know I really I really do enjoy when they start slipping into conversation yeah. and then Spike even like points it out and uh, it's you're right. It is a little bit heartwarming, but then again, I'm just like, this is you guys stop being. If it was this all the time, yes, I'd be more okay with this entire relationship. Sure, sure. but this is such a rare instance where they're you know talking to one another uh, uh, like people and like having this conversation versus what it usually is, which is just messy and destructive and mm. terrible and diminishing. Frankly, absolutely mm-hmm. right. I think too here that. Spike has this line about eating an interior decorator yeah. once, and some of it may have rubbed off. And Buffy kind of chuckles mm-hmm. at that. 
which is cute in the moment, but it's one of those things that haunts you because later you'll remember that exchange and think, oh, wait, that's not okay. Yeah. He really is an evil blood-sucking fiend. As Buffy yep. will yeah, no, he murders folks later. to live. Yes. Yeah. Kind of difficult. We're seeing Buffy slide deeper and deeper into the darkness and mm-hmm. trying to find some comfort, trying to find some light there. What did you make of this, this clear contrast between liking someone and trusting someone? It was really interesting because I feel like actually, I feel like Buffy trusts Spike more than she likes him. I mean, how many times have we seen Buffy like drop Dawn off in Spike's care, knowing that Spike would like care for her and watch out for her and take care of her. Even at one point, Buffy brought Joyce and Dawn both over there for Spike to watch over them and look out for them. So I feel like she actually does trust Spike. And this is a little, uh, it's, you know, a little bit of context or uh, a little bit of textual dissonance here. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that you can trust somebody without liking them. Sure. And I think um, that that can be reflected in this yes. relationship. But mm-hmm. it's interesting that Buffy is in this point now where she doesn't quite see that. Yeah. That to trust him would be something different. Right. It is weird that that does seem to like kind of confuse her for just a moment because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like I said, we've seen before textually. No, she absolutely trusts him. Yes. But yeah, no, she doesn't like him. I mean, maybe sometimes, you know, Apparently. I mean, I guess he's occasionally <laughs> a likable guy. I don't know. It's so weird. <laughs> The Geek Trio, meanwhile, are moving into their new top-secret villain lair, tinkering with a cerebral dampener which will, brace yourselves, make any woman they desire into a sex slave. And not a moment too soon, we cut to the credits. This episode tackles the kind of purposeful domination of others that Mm -hmm. we've seen happen in Buffy before. Mm -hmm. We've circled this topic a half dozen times Mm -hmm. in the run of the show. Never this explicitly, never this purposefully, and never with the kind of frame that this episode puts around this subject. Yes, what Warren and Jonathan and Andrew are doing is despicable, is Mm -hmm. terrible, is wrong, but the show understands that. It seems to, at least. Mm -hmm. It seems to acknowledge that. Does that acknowledgement work for you? Do you feel that the show is sufficiently condemnatory of what Warren in particular is doing? I think so, yes, because uh, I hadn't seen this episode in a while. And so whenever, you know, a little bit later when we've got Katrina there and she and Warren are together, I couldn't remember at what point we cut that off. Yes. Um, and I was starting to get a little bit worried. I was like, oh, my God, are we actually doing this? Like, are we just going to, like, go through with this and then we deal with it? But then fortunately, thankfully, we stop before it gets um, just even more distasteful, yes. frankly. Um, but no, I do think that the episode is doing a pretty good job, at least with the geek trio vis-a-vis consent, there are going to be some other instances where the episode doesn't deal with, uh, you know, just completely ignoring consent as well as with the trio and Katrina in specific. Yeah. Buffy and Spike. Well, let's talk about that when we get there. Yeah, that sounds good. I think having raised this subject of consent, we're Mm -hmm. obviously supposed to be thinking about it. Right. And then when it is, yeah, you're right. Conspicuous in its absence. Mm -hmm. I wonder what we're supposed to take from that. We'll talk about the balcony scene when we get there. At the Double Meat Palace, though, Tara stops by to visit with Buffy. Tara assumes that they need to talk about Willow, but Buffy confesses instead that Spike can hurt her now. Buffy wants to know about the spell that brought her back and what she may have become. And we've been building to this for a few weeks now, Mm -hmm. this idea that Buffy came back wrong. That there is something about her that has changed, that has made her other than human, other Mm -hmm. than who she was, Mm -hmm. certainly. And she is pinning, I think, her entire personal narrative, her entire justification for her relationship with Spike, for her failing relationship with Dawn, her Mm -hmm. failing relationship with Willow. She's pinning all of that on the hope that she is wrong, on the Mm -hmm. hope that she is broken. This really works for me. I completely agree. Because it's such a human impulse to try to find an explanation, to try and find a rationalization. Mm -hmm. I have done a terrible thing. Let me figure out why I did that terrible thing. And this is shame and guilt and Mm -hmm. and horror for Mm -hmm. Buffy. This works beautifully. And it's so good to see Tara again. It really is. Yeah. It's so great to see her. She gets three scenes in this Mm -hmm. episode is all. And every one of them is luminous. I just it really think is. Amber Benson does such fantastic work She's in this show. She's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, just love it. Warren stalks attractive women at a bar while Andrew and Jonathan bicker in the van. They speculate about their potential targets. Not your finest hour TV show. But Warren <laughs> only has eyes for Katrina, the girl he lost when April the proto Buffy bot caught up with him. Katrina has nothing to say to him, but Warren zaps her with the cerebral dampener and suddenly she is compliant and I want to take like seven showers. Can I somehow take seven showers simultaneously? Oh gosh, it's so... 
I hate Warren so much. I mean, like we had talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about how like I want to take Andrew and Jonathan and give them a hug and yes. tell them you boys stop that. But Warren, <laughs> I would like just to beat the crap out of. Yeah. He is so so terrible. And the thing about it is, is that this is not a supernatural evil. This is just the evil within a human person's heart. Yes. And that is so much more disquieting and so much more troublesome. Exactly. And just it's it grosses me out. So I am so skeeved by Warren. It's Adam terrible. Bush does fantastic. Oh, he does a great episode. job. I hate He's him so much. So awful, mm -hmm. but brilliantly awful. This yes. is because this is deliberate, because this right. is purposeful. This isn't Jonathan and Superstar where the show seems to have no interest in or acknowledgement yeah. <laughs> of the awful things that he is doing. Right. We kind of whitewash all of that and whistle mm -hmm. past it. Here we're doing this very deliberately and Warren is, you're right, profoundly mm -hmm. unsettling. Bringing back Katrina is really interesting to me. I think so too, yeah. Because Buffy doesn't do this a lot. Mm -hmm. Generally, when we shuffle out one of our guest stars, we will just never see that person yeah. again. Mm -hmm. We have this rotating cast that you see Sunnydale mm -hmm. back in back in season four, where we'll spend maybe an episode with someone, maybe two episodes with someone, sure, and then they'll be gone forever. Yes, Katrina comes back a season later, to to blistering effect, to perfect effect. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's Katrina. This episode would work, I suppose, mechanically in terms of the, the propulsive qualities of the plot, in terms of motivation, mm -hmm. in terms of conflict. It would work if this was just some random girl. Right. But the fact that it's Katrina just tightens the screws on everything. It really does. I mean, Jonathan even points it out later whenever they find out that Katrina is Warren's ex and he's like, there's a tie to you. What were you doing? Like, we're going to yeah. get in so much more trouble now because of this. And it really is. It's, it's brilliant. It's a touch of genius to be able to have her come back and then... Uh, yeah, and I really, really enjoy that actress's performance. I think that she's mm. stunning to watch. Yes, I yes. love uh, whenever she's on screen. She just does such an amazing job. But yeah, it, it really it really is good stuff. This is Amalinda Embry who plays Katrina. Oh, and, well, she's just great. What a role. Yeah. I mean, you get to come back to Buffy for one episode, but what an episode. Yeah, you for sure. You get a lot to do, which yes. is pretty great. There's also an interesting conversation that we get between Jonathan and Andrew and Warren later in the episode when they discover that Katrina is his ex. Mm-hmm. When suddenly that is across the line, like yeah. that is not okay in a way that a random girl would have been okay. And I think yeah. we're seeing an interesting perspective on specifically the objectification of women, I guess, yes. but the objectification of other people, mm -hmm. the evil that springs forth when you treat people like objects, when yeah. you treat people as though they are things in your world and not people as complex and as varied mm -hmm. and as, as contradictory as you yourself are. That's fascinating and again i think another moment where the show demonstrates an awareness of what it is doing and i think it's fair to say that that stephen s denight's scripts previously have perhaps not always been possessed of that self-awareness mm -hmm. they haven't always been as conscious and deliberate yeah as they should have been i see a real shift in his writing as we move into into dead things mm -hmm. where he is he's really telling the story he's he really he's is doing yes. all of this deliberately mm -hmm. which honestly counts for a lot. I yeah. think that when we talk about the egregious preponderance of rape culture in, in television in particular right now, whether mm -hmm. we're talking about Game of Thrones or we're talking about Outlander, we're talking about premium drama. So yeah. much premium drama is anchored in rape as a motivation or sexual assault, sexual abuse as a yeah. motivation. Again, that is also exhausting. Mm -hmm. Just across the board exhausting. You guys, I am done with it. Yes. I do not need this to be included in any stories, basically for the next decade. Ever? Well, we can have a moratorium. Okay, and maybe sure. Maybe we can come back. <laughs> And, and tell smart and interesting stories because yes. I think you can tell stories about about rape and about mm -hmm. sexual trauma, sexual assault, but this is so often misapplied and, and misused, right. at least in this episode. And we have to remember, too, that this aired on February the 5th, 2002, Wow, which makes it all the more provocative, mm -hmm. makes it all the more progressive in yeah. its treatment of rape and consent. The mm -hmm. last 15 years have changed a lot for yeah. our kind of uh, cultural understanding of, oh, sure. of consent. Mm -hmm. So I give this episode a lot of a pass because it feels so intentional. Because mm -hmm. if it is imperfect, as I think it absolutely is, right. it is at least trying to build a narrative that looks at some very, very difficult things. Yeah, I agree. But that scene when we're moving through the bar and mm -hmm. we're itemizing these women, we're objectifying these women. It's kind of tough to treat that as, hey, it's the geek trio being funny and jokey. Yeah, and look how sweet and cute they are. No, yeah, no. I want the redhead. She's mm. too tall. You could get a stepladder. It's uh. okay. Okay, guys. That's 
Still gross, but thank you. Back home, Buffy finds Xander dancing with Dawn, practicing for the upcoming wedding. Buffy plans on spending the evening with Dawn, but Dawn is still hurt at Buffy's consistent absence and is going to stay with her friend Janice. Buffy decides instead to go to the bronze for the aforementioned frosty nectar. Dawn in this episode, this is, I feel like this is the third week in a row that we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. Dawn is kind of whiny in this episode. Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons that people don't like Dawn in season six. But it's justified, right? It works so beautifully for yeah. me. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things that I love so much, and uh, we've got this scene where we've got Buffy and Dawn together for, you know, that long. And then later we're going to get the scene where Buffy goes into Dawn's room at night and is talking with her. And um, that was the point of the episode where I started crying because, yeah. like, it's just, they. I love seeing them together whenever they're working together. And, like, you know, Michelle Trachtenberg and Sarah Michelle Geller, again, great chemistry, really mm. wonderful work whenever they're on screen together. Um, but, yeah, I can see how people would look at this and be like, Why, oh, God, Dawn, again, is just whining and just griping and moaning. And, you know, but the... The fact of the matter is that the show is called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not Donnie the Slayer's kid sister who's like off in high school and like doing her thing and mostly mundane, but also a magical key thing. That's um, that's my pitch for the spinoff sequel. That's, yeah, that's no, my, exactly. It would be the great. The animated series would have been great, <laughs> yes. in fact, if it had been The Adventures of Oh Dawn my in high gosh, school. that would have been actually really fantastic. Um, but I love that, you know, because whenever I think that when you're paying attention and it's not just, oh, here's Dawn again and she's being whiny again, but whenever, because we've talked about this before, how Dawn has lost her mother. Mother, she's lost her father. I miss Giles. I thought that like four times during this episode. Yeah, I was I just like, I wish Giles absence. was here. Yes, <laughs> particularly like because you're watching the Netflix version and he gets the previously on Buffy the Vampire. Yeah, mm-hmm. you think Giles? Yeah, where are you? Here. Not, you don't get to do this. You don't get to just show up and introduce the previously segment and yeah. then not be around. Right. Please that's come like back. Hank Summer's level of deadbeat. Death. Oh gosh, that's awful. Jeez. <laughs> um, but you know, Buff, uh, not Buffy. Um, uh, Dawn has lost her mom. She's lost Giles. She lost Buffy, and then Buffy came back. But then stuff has been really weird, and then she lost Tara. Yeah. And uh, is still, you know, living with Willow, and I'm sure that all of that is still really tense. Like Dawn is just Dawn can't get a break. Like I'm glad she got to dance around with Xander in the living room. That's probably the most fun she's had in weeks. I really like that scene. Yeah. It's so brief. It's so mm-hmm. short, but it's also so warm yes and we kind of echo that later we deliberately echo that later with xander and anya and willow dancing in Mm -hmm. the bronze which by the way some of the worst dancing i've ever seen oh absolutely but it's appropriately terrible yes (laughs) it's exactly as it should be i just adore it they are continuing to be the beating heart of Mm -hmm. this show and the contrast that is drawn between buffy in the shadows and this light and life and community and family of course Mm -hmm. is really powerful really poignant for me Dawn suffers, I think, through these episodes because of the conflict between Buffy as a serialized television show and Mm -hmm. Buffy as an episodic TV show. Because if you just drop into Dead Things or any of the episodes that we've discussed recently, Mm -hmm. Dawn just shows up to whine and then disappears. And with that sufficient context, we make no effort to motivate her emotional state in this episode. Mm -hmm. But even in this first scene, that final beat when she says to Buffy, it's not like I knew you'd be here. Mm-hmm. just before she leaves. What Michelle Trachtenberg does with that line, because I think on the page, that line could be petulant. It could Absolutely. Be, it could just be whiny and yeah. nothing else. But she gives it this real heart and this sorrow mm-hmm. and this almost empathy. It's just lovely. I can't say enough good things about Michelle Trachtenberg, know, she's which so, so good. surprises me enormously mm-hmm. because I think like most people, I had remembered, oh, it's Dawn. Yeah. She just does the thing that she does. Mm-hmm. And, I'm really looking forward to next week's episode where we get to talk a lot about Don. Yes, this is one it's going to be favorites. very good. Yeah. Katrina, meanwhile, pours the Geek Trio champagne while dressed like a French maid. Oh, God. They discuss which of them will get to play with their new toy first. Oh, God. But Warren is still making up for old wounds. He kisses Katrina and demands that she tell him that she loves him. But at that moment, the cerebral dampener begins to wear off. When they try it again, it fizzles. Katrina accurately describes what they're doing as rape, fights off Andrew and Jonathan, but when she tries to climb the stairs, Warren grabs her and hits her with the champagne bottle. Warren instructs Jonathan to charge the dampener, but it is clear to everyone but him that Katrina is dead. There is an argument surrounding Buffy the Vampire Slayer, an argument surrounding this particular episode Mm -hmm. about Warren's action, about what he intended to do. Mm -hmm. How do you read the moment where he hits Katrina and then the moment where he tries to rally the geek trio to to get her back on her feet, to charge the dampener, that everything is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Did he mean to kill her? Was this an accident? Is he surprised to discover that she's dead? Or did he know what he was doing and then aim for some kind of plausible deniability by pretending that he didn't? 
I think that it is an accident. I think that he wanted to stop her from leaving. And I think that Warren is not playing with a full deck of cards. I think he's got like a Joker and then like an Uno card in there. Um, and he's just kind of doing his yeah. best. There's like which a is gift card in there. Yeah, it's like exactly. his Barnes and Noble membership card. Right, exactly. There's a blockbuster card in there because it's 2002. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that he intended to kill her. I do think that he intended to stop her and uh, uh, knew that the way to stop her was going to be to wound her and knock yeah. her out so that they could, you know, use their little magical whammy thing on her one more time um, but no I don't think that he intended to do that I think that it was a moment of um, desperation and he just didn't realize uh, his strength and she's already fallen down the stairs and all of this and just um, you know I, I don't think that he was aware uh, I think he's full of rage I think yes, that's probably yes. fair to say and that can um, really drive a person to just uh, uh, react I mean he's he's probably he, I doubt he's even realizing what he's doing yeah. Um, that doesn't make it okay. And it certainly does not excuse what it is, but I think that he's, um, he's really pissed off and not all there in the moment and just not wanting to, he doesn't want to get in trouble, right? He doesn't want her. Yeah. It does change Mm -hmm. our reading of the scene though, because if it's an accident, then we've seen before accidents happen. Sure. The law of unintended consequences, you Mm -hmm. know, things play out as they will. If you interpret this as Warren deliberately killing her, Mm -hmm. then it becomes that much darker. I'm not particularly I think sensitive to that accusation. I don't sure. think that, I, I'm with you. I mm-hmm. think this was an accident. I think it got out of hand. I think it got out of control. He's not good at, at damage limitation. He's yeah. not good at managing a situation that is spiraling out of sure. control. Mm-hmm. This reads to me as an accident, but you're right is no less sickening and tragic and right, awful absolutely. and monstrous mm-hmm. for that. I do love the responses that we get from Jonathan and from Andrew, Tom Lank and Danny strong. They giving, are so good. This is the episode that, for me, really makes the trio work, not mm-hmm. just as Warren and his buddies, mm-hmm. but as a unit. Because as we arc toward the end of the episode, that final scene that we get with them where they realize, oh yeah, we did just get away with murder. Yeah. Like we have just crossed the line that mm-hmm. you do not cross and it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. That's so distressing. It's so difficult. Well, and especially when you see like how it is, I mean, obviously Jonathan is still at fault because he did go ahead and go through with it, but you see how it is affecting him in that moment. I mean, we've got Andrew up on the stairs who looks like he's about to start crying, which he rightly should. But then Jonathan just looking so disgusted and so horrified and finally realizing this isn't like fun anymore. This isn't like, we're not playing anymore. This isn't, you know, like Warren is legit crazy pants and we are in serious trouble. But then because Warren is, Warren is so controlling and he Mm. wants control over these situations and he's got control over uh, Jonathan and Andrew as well. And they have already realized we can't leave. He will, I mean, he just killed Katrina. He would kill us in a a heartbeat without even thinking about it. The worst thing he manages to, to draw them in. He Mm -hmm. manages to turn them darker, which is, Clearly, when we look back on this from the perspective of the end of the season, we're going to see a lot of of echoes rippling forward from this Mm -hmm. moment. I just love giving Tom Lank and Danny Strong both stuff to do. Stuff that isn't just the slap slap fight thing that we do again and again, which is is cute and funny. And honestly, I could probably just watch an episode of them doing that. Yes. (laughs) This kind of emotional depth, this kind of of angst and and almost savagery Mm -hmm. really works for me. It's... Mm -hmm. Such a powerful scene. And we discussed earlier, of course, Katrina calling this out for exactly what it is, that this isn't fun. This Mm -hmm. isn't a game. This isn't a joke. She has that brilliant line earlier about little boys playing at being man. Yeah. Which is perfect. I mean, it's a shame that we're no longer in Warren's mother's basement at this point. Yeah, where are they, by the way? I guess it's like a rental house. I guess they just, (laughs) I I doubt that they're actually renting it. I would imagine there's a lot of empty Empty residential real estate. There absolutely is, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andrew and Jonathan are shaken and they are overwhelmed, but Warren is working the problem. Jonathan can't teleport the body away because, pitifully, it's too big. Which is, yes, Jonathan, you are a tiny, tiny man in a very large world. This mm-hmm. is a heartbreaking moment. Andrew can't summon a demon to dispose of it because then they wouldn't be able to control it and it would come after them. We are coming hard against the limits of their power here, which is... I think beautifully written. It's really brilliant, yeah. Warren, though, has a plan. Make the Slayer work for them. At the bronze, Xander and Anya dance while Willow talks with Buffy. Things are hard for her, and harder when she's alone, which is, of course, how Buffy ends up, letting them all dance together and slipping upstairs to where Spike 
is lurking. He tells her that she always ends up in the dark with him, and asks what her friends would think if they found out her secret, telling her to keep watching the distant world to which she does not belong. They have sex. Sarah Michelle Gellar is on record Mm -hmm. as saying that this is her least favorite scene in all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She does not believe this characterization of Buffy. Nor do I. I think we're all right there with her. Yes. Here's the thing. I can like this scene if I make one decision, if I make one textual editorial decision. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of points in this episode where I start to see some fractures in Buffy's perspective on the world. Yeah. I want desperately to believe that Spike is not in the bronze. Wouldn't that be great? Desperately to believe that this is happening in Buffy's head. And the way that it's shot right at the beginning, where his voice just comes from the darkness Mm -hmm. and he's taunting her and he's talking about her secret shame. He's talking about the perspective of her friends. Is that love, Alistair? Just real quick, like just super duper quick. When you love a person, do you say stuff like what would your friends think if they knew about this? Is that the kind of stuff you say? No, no, I don't think that that's love, Sarah. I don't think it is either. The the absolutely unprecedented position of saying no, that's not good Mm -hmm. or or great. There was a discussion on Twitter this last week about Mm -hmm. Spike and Buffy and about whether or not and I think that the language here is really important. Whether or not Spike is loving Buffy to the limits of his ability, is yes. he loving her as best he can? And that, for me, is the loophole because he might be. Mm-hmm. He might actually be to the limits that it's love, to yeah. the limits that he's capable of love. He might be loving her as best he can. Again, that doesn't make it better. It right. doesn't make no, it absolutely. better that Warren yeah. killed Katrina in an accident yep. as opposed to premeditated <laughs> murder. Still a thing that happened. Yes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is that Spike is trying to do, though when the rubber hits the road, he's going to make a different decision. He spends this entire episode trying to draw her in, has spent the season to date, trying to draw her into the shadows Mm -hmm. with him, trying to separate her, not physically perhaps, but but emotionally Mm -hmm. from the Scoobies. He's making her like him in much the same way as Warren is making Andrew and Jonathan like him. We're seeing the the dark allure and appeal Mm -hmm. of a life without rules and a life yeah. without restrictions that mm-hmm. takes us back to Buffy being invisible in sure Gone, absolutely in this moment though this feels to me as though it crosses a line mm-hmm. I don't believe that Buffy would do this here yeah and I don't believe that she would engage with this narrative of separation that mm-hmm. she would engage with this is it, is it a power fantasy is it is it the indulging no of a idea. secret shame I, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know what's motivating her mm-hmm. right now if this is her playing out some some internal fantasy. If mm-hmm. this is not actually Spike, but this yeah. is, you know, mind Spike, this is mm-hmm. some, some hallucination of Buffy's, yeah. then it actually works rather well for me because it works mm-hmm. thematically. Yes. It's not, though. Right. This is actually physically Spike. He mm-hmm. is physically present in the bronze. Who was also stalking Buffy and just knew that she was going to be there and followed her there yes. and then crept up the stairs to fall. I just... Uh, uh, uh. And we crash again into this question of consent yeah as well as the fact that this is just really poorly shot mm-hmm. i mean we've talked about this a little before because it's a network tv show mm-hmm. you can only do so much but they are of differing heights let's yes. say and the position that they are in against the railing in the mm-hmm. bronze is not i think conducive to what we are supposed to believe is actually happening yeah. at this point it's just bad it's not great. And also, aren't there other people up there? I guess not. I guess not. Everyone would just was like, no, nah, I'm not going up on the balcony tonight. This is weird swing music night at the bronze. No yeah. one knows what is happening. Here. <laughs> no one has any idea. <laughs> the bronze's business plan continues to baffle and confound. Right. It's it's the most magical place in Sunnydale. <laughs> <laughs> it maybe is, it actually. Maybe yes. Is. Plus, who knows when this, this balcony is going to get knocked down again by some That's kind true, of yeah. troll demon mm-hmm. or something. Exactly. The next morning, Xander and Willow bump into Tara, leaving the magic box. Willow has been clean, we are told, for 32 days, which made me wonder about Amy's uh-huh. magic supercharging last week. Mm-hmm. Is Willow counting that? She must not be. It can't be 32 days since last week's episode, Absolutely right? not. There's no way. That would be crazy. That would be insane. So it's been 32 days since Willow decided that she would no longer cast a spell. And I don't actually hold, I don't actually hold Amy's supercharging 
against Willow here sure. because that wasn't something for which mm-hmm. she could take responsibility. And right. she wasn't casting spells. She was simply right. causing magic to happen. Yeah, it so. just was reacting around her. No, I completely agree with that. I think that what Willow is saying that is that, you know, it's been 32 days since I actively made the decision to mm. use magic yes. to do whatever. And then Amy just showed up and like totally threw a wrench and all yeah. that. But that wasn't Willow's fault. Right. And this is where I think some of the parallels between Willow's use of magic and the Mm -hmm. drug metaphor or the alcohol metaphor kind of break down. Sure, yeah. Because Willow does live in a world where magic happens. Mm -hmm. She is surrounded by a kind of ambient magic Mm -hmm. in Sunnydale in a way that you are generally not surrounded by, you know, ambient heroin. Right. That that rarely (laughs) happens. You rarely walk down the street and suddenly, oh, heroin again? (laughs) This is, I never come into this neighborhood. This is the worst. How much do we love this scene? It's so good. Xander and Willow, simply the very beginning of the scene as they're they're crossing from the espresso pump. I just love seeing the two of them together. Mm -hmm. It is like old times. It is this oasis of of calm and positivity and Mm -hmm. optimism at the heart of this episode. Yes. It's so good. And then we get Tara and Willow and it's painful, but restorative. Yeah, There's I think it's really positive overall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy seeing the two of them interact, even though, you know, it is heartbreaking. And we know that um, obviously Willow is hoping for something. She may not even know what she's hoping for. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think that she can walk away from that conversation with Tara feeling pretty good about it overall. Yeah. Maybe that lingering sadness, that yeah. lingering loss, that sure, lingering absolutely. regret, but mm-hmm. certainly a positivity that she is moving forward. Right. And I love when Tara turns around at the end and is like, hey, oh. I'm glad that you're doing better. Tara is the best human. She is the best. She is the best human being. She's the greatest. In the graveyard, Buffy patrols. Spike fixes himself a drink in his crypt, sensing her approach on the other side of the door. But Buffy thinks better of it and heads away into the night. I'm not sure that this is true. I should look this up. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that Spike is crumbling Weetabix into his blood. Oh, he must be. As has been previously discussed. Yes. <laughs> Just he just needs a little crunch with his, you know, all liquid yeah, diet. You really want that texture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Gosh. Gross. So uh, gross. And how about that super duper angsty music also in oh, this scene? Bush's finest. Bush's Out of This World is mm-hmm. the song that is playing. That is some 2002 era angst right there. And, and oh God, did I feel it? I was like transported back to being 14 years old and right. feeling everything. In, in an episode where Buffy talks about her new kids on the block posters yes. dating her. <laughs> No, sure. New kids on the block will date you. Well, yeah. Bush from 2002, that'll stay fresh forever. Absolutely. It actually kind of works, though. It's got oh, it that really kind does. of gothic angsty sensibility, mm-hmm. and it makes Buffy feel like, I don't know, a character in a way that she hasn't yeah. for a while. Mm-hmm. The idea that she still has, I guess, an internal score. <laughs> that she still has this, this. So she's singing the Bush song <laughs> in her own head while she's like heading to Spike's crypt. We're starting to get a number of callbacks. To once more with feeling. In we this really episode. are. I like yes. this. Yes. Now it's canonical. She's humming along as she walks along, and we just get the the ambient audio coming. I up. love it. Buffy hears screaming right when she needs a distraction the most, but then a magical whammy hits her. She sees a crying woman on the ground. The world fragments into flashes of blood and battle as purple robed demons attack. The woman stumbles into the clearing and falters. Spike appears and disappears. This is great. It's so good. It's so disorienting and weird and otherworldly. Buffy will later use the word Lynchian to describe Mm -hmm. this. She'll talk about David Lynch, which I think is super appropriate. Yeah. It feels jarring and disconnected. And we are so deep in Buffy's POV Mm -hmm. throughout this experience that I just love it. And the way that we flash with Spike as she hits him and he's on the ground and then comes into the scene confronting her about being at the crypt moments ago. This all just works for me. I'd actually forgotten that this was as immediate and as powerful Mm -hmm. as it is. And I think it's important that the sequence work because this is what motivates Buffy through the rest of the episode. Right, She has to believe, I guess actually for no more than maybe 10 minutes of screen time, but she has to believe that this is true, that this is real, that this Mm -hmm. happened to her. So it works for you as well as it It works for me? It absolutely does. It would be interesting to, I mean, like just... When you start messing with time and like linear progression and suddenly you're like, no, this is no longer linear. This is like a non-Euclidean geometry time (laughs) now. Um, You know, stuff gets a little weird, but I love it. It threw me off. Like sitting there watching it, I was like, I don't remember how any of this finishes out. Like what is going on here? What is happening? We've seen Spike get punched in the face twice now already. And it just, I mean, disorienting is absolutely the word. And I think it works beautifully. And you see how it seems 
that even though all of this stuff is happening around Buffy in fractured moments, it seems that Buffy is still like in a temporal spot, like the same, like her same temporal it seems spot to be, yeah. throughout. So that it's she's like being pulled around, but her yes. awareness has a continuity of existence. Yeah. And yes. so I can't imagine how confusing that must be. It works. It works perfectly. I kind of wish that we hadn't burned this idea in this episode. I, I could know. do a whole episode with yeah, these purple robe demons who mess with time when they show yes. up. Yes. That would have been fantastic. But here it works really, really effectively, because finally, at the bottom of a slope, Buffy finds Katrina's body and is convinced that she killed her. From behind a tree, though, another Katrina watches, which is an unnecessary detail, but I kind of like it. Sure. Well, your corpse can't get up and run around. Exactly. That's the thing. We need Jonathan masquerading as Katrina, Mm -hmm. which is also kind of unsettling and it is and i'm just glad that neither of the other two made a joke about it at all that would have oh that would have been a step that too far, would have been a, like several many steps yes, too far yes mm-hmm. yes spike urges buffy away from the scene trying to keep her calm and focused and if you're looking for moments of redemption for spike sure this is one such moment yes because for all of his talk spike does not want buffy in the shadows mm-hmm. he wants buffy in her warm comfy bed i just wish that Spike could be more consistent with this thing. Because if we're saying that Spike is loving Buffy to the best of his own capability, sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Other times, no, he absolutely is not. He is just being selfish and wanting to drag her down to the darkness with him so yes. that she will be with him. So I would have more patience for this relationship if Spike was doing his best all the time. Yeah. Again, I'm not sure that he's not doing his best, but certainly we Mm -hmm. can say that his best isn't good enough. Yes. That it's not what we want. He is not good enough for our Buffy. But who is? (laughs) Who is? Who among us No one so far. (laughs) No kidding. I think, though, that in this moment where we see this actual breaking point for Mm -hmm. Spike, that he can lure her into the darkness. But when she is cast into the darkness, Mm -hmm. when she embraces it herself, when he believes in this moment that the girl is dead and that Mm -hmm. Buffy did, in fact, kill her. He wants to protect her. He wants to keep her in the light. Yeah, it's really... Which is really powerful. It's very powerful. It's also really interesting. I Yeah, it's so hard to pin down what exactly Spike wants. Yeah, but I think that's deliberate. I think yeah. that Spike doesn't mm-hmm. know what Spike that's wants. Fair. He seems yeah. as confused by this as anyone. Does he want to be liked? Does he mm-hmm. want to be trusted? Does mm-hmm. he want to be feared? You know, we keep having him swing back to this. I'm the sure. big bad yeah. cloak swirl and, and right. I'll stalk off into the night. Yes. I'm not sure what it is that Spike wants, but I'm kind of comfortable with the idea that Spike doesn't know what Spike Yeah, okay, wants. that works for me, actually. Or, or again, mm-hmm. the limits of his own capability. Yeah. It may well be, and it would be interesting to, to try and compose this argument, I suppose, mm-hmm. that Spike wants to love Buffy better. That he wants to Okay, I buy to that. Be better for her. I buy that. Because we've had yeah. hints of that. Certainly mm-hmm. with his caring for Dawn, his yeah. caring for Joyce too. Mm-hmm. The way that he has stepped into Buffy's shoes in yes. part while she was dead. Mm-hmm. I like I like that idea. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you can build a comprehensive kind of textual. We'll case have to keep for an it, eye out but... for that kind of thing because I think that that might be part of what like just fixes this entire mm-hmm. you know relationship between the two of them throughout this season. So we, I, I'm definitely going to be paying more attention to that kind of thing. And ultimately, we'll have a pretty powerful argument in favor of yes. exactly that that yes. case for Spike in the Geek Trio's van. The second Katrina shapeshifts somewhat unnecessarily into Jonathan. Now that Buffy thinks that she killed Katrina, they don't have to worry. I love. Love Danny Strong he's in this moment. So good. He's so bitter and and furious yeah. that he has been driven to this. That, mm-hmm. that necessity has demanded this of him. That Warren has demanded this mm-hmm. of him. And that makes the arc through the very end of the episode all the darker. Yeah. Because goodness knows, we really need some darkness here. Just to we cut sure the do. Yeah, this episode is misery. too fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> in her room, Buffy is restless. The whispers haunting her. She dreams that she's having sex with Spike, but gets odd flashes of Katrina, of questions of trust, of the handcuffs, and the final staking of the innocent woman. This is the second part in the episode where James A. Conner's direction completely works for me. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's such a perfect counterpoint to and yet match for the fight scene in the forest right because now we're in buffy's internal perspective Mm -hmm. and that's so devastating and the Mm -hmm. hard cuts i guess there is a hmm, there is perhaps a perspective on kinky sex sure in this fragmented dream sequence Mm -hmm. that is often used as a means of criticizing season six this is oftentimes laid at the feet of Martin Oxen, who made Buffy sexy in season six because Joss Whedon was off doing other things like Firefly Uh (laughs) 
I'm not sure that I completely buy that, but it, it is there. I mean, it mm-hmm. is evident. What did you make of that? Does that say anything? The handcuffing of Katrina in particular sure. and the, the kind of the juxtaposition of sex and death mm-hmm. in terms of Katrina. Is there something there? Is this just aesthetic? Is this just tonal? Or is there something interesting in Buffy's personal experience? Is she seeing her sex with Spike and mm-hmm. her recent brush with death? Are these things combining for her? I wonder if, like, my initial response is that, no, this is just tonal and it's supposed to just be, uh, you know, some just some extra, you know, disconcerting sure. stuff on top of everything else that we've been We're doing. We're just being further disoriented. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, especially because, you know, we see Spike is in Buffy's bed in her house and yes. then suddenly we're in the crypt and then suddenly we're in the woods again. Um, but I wonder if... For Buffy, if because, you know, she we've already seen her talk with Tara about how she's concerned that she came back wrong. Yeah. Is she starting to think, you know, if I had come back right, I would have been better able to handle the fight in the forest. I wouldn't have hurt Katrina. I wouldn't have killed this girl. And also I wouldn't be sleeping with Spike. And so just yeah. while she's sleeping, then all of this stuff is just kind of like jumbled up in her brain. And it's just, you know, her brain trying to file this stuff away. And it's just a dream that doesn't mean anything necessarily. And mm. is just tonally odd. Yeah, I think you're right that. That drawing this conclusion that Buffy is wrong, that mm-hmm. she is broken, that something is is bad about her, yeah, and using that as a means of understanding now the death of Katrina, sure. too, on top of everything else, right. this is just another thing about which Buffy can feel shame and mm-hmm. and guilt and regret and recrimination. That does work for me. The specifics yes. of that juxtaposition don't so much, mm-hmm. except that these are the things that are happening in Buffy's life, right? right exactly. Yeah. yeah. Buffy slips out of bed to go and sit with Dawn a while. Buffy tells her that she loves her, and even if she isn't everything she always should be, she always will. She confesses that she killed Katrina, and Dawn hugs her. Then Buffy says that she has to go to the police, which Dawn interprets as a final act of abandonment. Mm -hmm. Again, this is Buffy the serial show at war with Buffy the episodic show. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to track Dawn's motivation if all you're watching is dead things. If you're watching the season. Mm-hmm. I think it works so much more powerfully. Yeah, I completely agree. This is, I think, easily my favorite scene in this entire episode. Sure, sure. Um, I think, again, both of these women, both of these actors are doing fantastic work. Yeah. Um, I love how quiet Buffy is when trying to say these things to Dawn, and Dawn just gets a little bit louder with every one of her lines, and her voice gets a little bit, you know, huskier with having to, like, deal with this, and, like, understand this, and is getting frustrated and yeah. getting angry. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is, you know, in, in Dawn's mind, this is Buffy leaving again. You know, she yeah. says, you never want to be around me. You don't want to be here anymore. You didn't want to leave where you were. And, uh, yeah, Dawn just having a rough couple of weeks. Nobody has just yeah. sat her down and been like, hey, babe, how how are you though? Yes. Like, how is stuff going? Oh, I really hope that Xander is. I really hope, I that hope Xander's so, taking but no, minutes, Xander is too busy. Her a milkshake and like <laughs> bitching at his fiance or whatever about how that's not humans. How humans do it. And anyway, it works for me. Janice's mom is teaching her how to make tortillas, so that's, that's actually good. A big, I would love. Can we can we just do ten minutes? of Dawn at Janice's house. Yeah. Can we meet Janice and Janice's mom? Can we meet mom? Janice fact, and Janice's mom? They sound like cool this? folks. That would be good for me. Yes. Yeah. I, think I bet they're not supernatural at all. <laughs> well, it's Sunnydale. Well. These are mystical tortillas. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird in this moment that we echo, and, and really throughout this episode, but specifically in this scene, we mm-hmm. echo so much of what Buffy has done in the past. This goes all the way back to Ted. Yeah. A truly calamitous episode, which I hate, but which mm-hmm. nonetheless addresses exactly this idea that Buffy can kill a human being yeah. and feel the weight of that, feel the responsibility of that, that this is not slaying. She's not, despite what some people might be telling her on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. a killer. Right. She is a slayer. Yes. And of course, we arc back to bad girls where she right. and Faith kill the deputy mayor. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wonder if that's part of why she was dreaming like about all the kinky sex and stuff. Does she associate like, I killed this person. Who's the other person that I knew who killed this person? Oh, Faith killed this person. You know, she was wicked kinky. It's not the only point of contrast that we get. Because mm-hmm. later when she's in the alley next to the police station yeah. and she's raging at Spike and yes. telling him what he is. And really, really telling herself what yes, she is. Yeah. It echoes a couple of conversations that she had with Faith. Yeah. Partly when they killed the deputy mayor, but mm-hmm. also partly when they were body swapped. Yeah. And when Faith I love is, Faith. I miss Faith. I miss Faith so much. Yeah. Oh, I man. I miss Faith so much. So much. She's so good. <laughs> it would have been so great to get her into this episode, even if it was just in the dream sequence. Sure. Oh, my God. That would have been brilliant. That. Why did we not do that thing? 
Yay! Because that would have been really expensive for a network uh, TV show. But it would have been fantastic. That would have been great. But in this moment, I think we see Buffy, yeah, absolutely recognizing something that Faith recognized about herself. Yeah. That mm-hmm. power without consequence mm-hmm. is destructive, yeah. is dark. I wish we could have had more of Faith present in season six. That I as wish Buffy so too. slips into the darkness, that, that we are seeing something very similar to what happened to Faith in yeah. season three. And what an interesting juxtaposition that would have been, especially yeah. if we have Faith who is now trying to, you know, get on the um the path to redemption where Faith is trying so hard to like be good and be better. And we've got Buffy over here who's supposed to be like our paragon yeah. who is just like stumbling and tripping into darkness. God, that would have been amazing. I'm so <laughs> angry now. <laughs> Well, let's put a pin in Faith. We'll okay, maybe, that sounds we'll great. We'll maybe see Faith again someday. Maybe so, I Maybe know. do that kind of story with her, in fact. <laughs> At the police station, Spike intervenes to stop Buffy from confessing. Spike says he took care of the body. This is the award for darkest irony cut ever. It's an in-scene irony cut, which mm-hmm. perhaps excuses it a little. But Spike saying they're never going to find her. For the police officers to then come out saying, oh, we found the body. It just washed down the river from the cemetery. Is it supposed like, to be a joke? <laughs> I think it is. Oh, dear. I think this is the irony cut. This is a terrible thing. Spike, what are you doing? You, you must be pretty good. You know how to kill folks and get rid of bodies. Of bodies. Pretty much your thing. Oh, you threw her in the river. Well, that's fine then. Everything's going to be Nailed okay. it. Did it's it. What is it? This really, is not your first corpse. Really dark. Spike talks about love, but Buffy sees the principle. They fight until Buffy finally beats him bloody, telling him that he is a soulless monster and that she could never be his girl. And as we said, God, really... This might, this might actually be my favorite scene in this whole episode. It's so good. Telling herself. Yeah, yeah. there are echoes here of, I think, the very best moments between mm-hmm. Spike and Buffy. There are echoes here of Fool for Love, which is yeah. not a thing that I say lightly. Mm-hmm. Those conversations, the intensity of that conflict between the two of them, the, the, the philosophical opposition of mm-hmm. the vampire and the slayer, this is the heart of their relationship. Yeah. It's always going to come down to this, or at least it should always yes. come down to this. Buffy's disgust with herself Mm -hmm. kind of abstracted out into the form of Spike Mm -hmm. is heartbreaking. And Sarah Michelle Gellar nails it. She's so damn good. It's such an extraordinarily powerful scene. Inside the police station, though, Buffy overhears Katrina's name, flashes back to the events of I Was Made to Love You, and comes to the conclusion that Warren must be involved. Mm -hmm. Is this cheap? Is this, you know, I thought about that. Yeah, I was trying to. I mean, is like, is this Deus Ex phone call? <laughs> and it is, right? I mean, like, it, it has to be because how else? We're not going to. I mean, we we're not going to have Buffy just turn herself in and then just be chilling in the police station, yes. right? I mean, what is Spike going to break in and then bust her out and then now we've got her on the lamb? No, we can't do any of that. So right, it is the weird, the weird alternate version. Yeah, where mm-hmm. season seven of Buffy is actually season one of Orange Is the New Black. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that I think it's probably a little cheap, but I also think that it was it was necessary. It got us where we needed to go mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. I kind of wish we could have done it a little more elegantly. I wish that we had returned power to the Scoobies. Yeah. If someone, if if Willow, if someone had said, hey, we just found out mm-hmm. that a body has been discovered downtown and it turns out that it's Warren's ex-girlfriend and Buffy had put the pieces together herself. Right. I think you're right. It's fast and efficient, but it is a little, a little deus ex machina. Sure. We, we, mm-hmm. we kind of just pull this contrivance yeah. out. So if anyone in Sunnydale had cell phones, we could have done that with we the Scoobies and someone could have shot her a text and been like, hey, we just found Warren's ex-girlfriend, but nobody has phones there. Probably no cell service either. Just terrible, terrible service. It's miserable yeah. service. At the magic box, Anya describes the demons that Buffy encountered, which cause hallucinations and broken time. Dawn is still upset, this time that Buffy is not going away, but Buffy is resolved. They need to find Warren and the others, who are, at that very moment, reflecting on the fact that they just got away with murder. Mm -hmm. And that's effectively the end of the episode. Yeah. We get the coda scene with Buffy and Tara, which is fantastic, and we'll discuss Mm -hmm. that in a moment. But in terms of our core plot here, Mm -hmm. that's it. Yep. We don't actually reach justice mm-hmm. in this episode it just gets darker and darker and darker until it ends yeah that's clearly purposeful sure it's clearly ambitious mm-hmm. and god knows that last scene with the geek trio is even by the standards of this episode yeah really unsettling yes to see andrew and jonathan no longer providing comic relief no longer providing right. a balance to warren yeah but kind of whenever andrew says yeah you know we got away with murder 
that's kind of cool. And yeah. you're just like, no, no. Andrew, no. Andrew, someone needs to give you a stern talking yes. to and maybe a timeout. Yeah. It'll be fine. And then a juice box. Uh-huh. You know? Right. Love and, and, care, you know, and a hug. And, you know, I do love you. This was yes. bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's really unsettling. Mm-hmm. And, and watching it in that moment, of course, seeing Warren drag them into darkness, it just makes it all the more clear that this is a reflection of what Spike is at least inconsistently trying to do right. to Buffy. Mm-hmm. But also, as as it becomes clear in the final scene, what Buffy is trying to do to herself. Yeah. And this is another, if not loophole, then at least potential explanation for mm-hmm. Buffy's actions through the course of the season. Because there have been instances where Spike has been provocative, has yes. challenged Buffy, mm-hmm. and then overcome an apparent lack of consent. Mm-hmm. And the question has always been, well, why doesn't Buffy just fight back? Mm-hmm. Here, I think we get our answer in this final scene. At the house, Buffy talks with Tara about what has happened to her. She is different, but only physically. Her nature, it turns out, hasn't changed at all. But this isn't the news that Buffy wants. Desperately, she confesses her relationship with Spike to Tara. Tara makes sense of it, but Buffy begs her not to offer forgiveness, but rather to tell her that she did, in fact, come back wrong. I wonder to what degree Buffy is voluntarily embracing the darkness, voluntarily embracing Mm -hmm. Spike, because that means that she is different. That means that mm-hmm. she is broken. Honestly, a huge percentage, right? Yeah. yeah, I think it must be a very large percentage. I think that, you know, when Buffy starts, she comes back from the dead. She Everything is weird. Like, her vision was odd. Everything, like, hurt again yeah. and all yeah. of this. And then just to have that, that doesn't just... You don't just get to have that go away next right, week, right. you know? That doesn't just get to disappear. That's still something that's like she remembers and um you know remembers like the physical feeling of that and and um what a shock it was to come back to earth to back to Sunnydale from wherever she was, heaven. Um and so I think that there's just huge percentage that Buffy just determined, yeah, I had to have come back wrong. Otherwise, you know, it I wouldn't be making these choices. Yeah. I wouldn't be making these decisions. I wouldn't be with Spike. I wouldn't let him get under my skin. I wouldn't let him sleep with me. I wouldn't, you know, when I tell him no, I would keep telling him no, oh. instead of like just letting him do whatever he wants to do. Because even in this scene, there's a certain amount of denial happening mm-hmm. here. She says to Tara, why do I let him do those things to me? Yeah. Though, as we established in the first scene in this episode, mm-hmm. She is an active and willing and arguably excessive participant. Mm -hmm. She's driving the action. Yeah. Well, and especially in in Gone, whenever she was the one. Yeah. And I mean, like, she started all of that, frankly, in that episode. Where we had concerns about Mm -hmm. Spike's ability to give informed consent or not. (laughs) We're we're equal opportunities here. Absolutely. Yeah. We want everyone to offer consent. Hey, there's an unusual perspective. We just want everyone to offer consent. Just everyone say yes. At any point, someone says something negative, you stop, (laughs) no matter who you are, no matter who they are. So is Buffy using Spike as she suggests here in this final scene is she using Spike and is that okay is Buffy the monster here is she the one that is hurting Spike I think oh man oh geez I think they're hurting each other yes I think they are but Spike textually a monster like absolutely a a monster actually a monster actually a monster Buffy maybe being a little monstrous yeah and I think there's this horrible and and depressing vicious circle here Mm -hmm. where Buffy is turning to Spike is using Spike as Mm -hmm. a means of explaining her brokenness, her wrongness, her, her misery, her disconnection Mm -hmm. from the world, her Mm -hmm. inability to feel, which is one of the things that she throws at Spike in the alley. You can't even really feel anything. Yeah. That's certainly been her problem in the season so far. Mm -hmm. So she turns to Spike and uses him as an outlet for that emotion. Yes. But then she has to, turn to a greater darkness in order to justify her experience with Spike. So she is in this downward spiral. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful for her to, to beg Tara not to forgive her. Don't understand this. Don't Mm -hmm. normalize this. Mm -hmm. It can't be normal. It can't be who I am. Mm -hmm. This can't be my experience. That's uh, heartbreaking, overwhelming. Yeah. Is this a satisfying conclusion to the episode for you? For me, yes, uh, because I mean, like whenever I, I believe whatever Sarah Michelle Gellar is doing on screen, uh, oh, yeah. she's yeah. so good and so bright. And there's just this scene where she is, she has been doing these things that she herself considers to be wrong, considers yeah. to be bad, considers that the only reason that she's doing these things is because she must be wrong or broken. Mm-hmm. And then to be told, no, you're totally fine. Everything yeah. is okay with you. And then to have that realization, like the shoe finally drops and it's like this 
I, this is just me. This yeah. this is just me. This can't be me. I can't be capable of these things. Exactly. It's so powerful, so heartbreaking. And I mean, I've been there. Like I've known people who have been there where it's like you just make really miserable, terrible decisions mm-hmm. and you made them and like you you made your bed and then you slept in it and then later you're like I can't be that person. How yeah, could this, yeah. like, there has to be some explanation for why this happened. It's like, no, you just, you just made bad choices. Yeah. And Buffy has just been making bad choices. You know, she says to Tara that the only, why is it that the only time I feel anything is whenever I'm with him. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that's because Buffy has not, I mean, she has been withdrawing herself from everyone around her. She's been she with, withdrawing herself from Dawn, which is why Dawn is so frustrated and so upset. And um, she's been withdrawing herself from Willow, which is why Willow is having a lot of problems because Willow's not able to talk to her best friend about yep. what she's going yep. through. Um, and so the only person that she has opened herself up to is Spike. Yeah. And she hates herself for that. Yeah. And That's it's, exactly uh, it. Yeah. That, that as she withdraws, she becomes reliant on Spike. Yeah. As she becomes reliant on Spike, she has to continue to withdraw. Yes. And I do Buffy's feel bad, bad for Spike place. because, no, sure. you know, on any given day of the week, Buffy is there and like throwing herself at him. And he's like, oh, this is actually a thing that we're both into. And I do have your consent. Yeah. And then other times she's like, no. And he's like, I'm so content. So I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, I do too. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more I'm becoming convinced that actually he does want to love her well. Mm-hmm. He may not be capable of that. And yeah. certainly we will see the limits of that sure. in the near future. But right now, yeah, he wants her in the darkness because mm-hmm. that seems to be at least in part what she wants. Yeah, it seems to, I mean, like that seems to be where she's going. Yeah. And he wants to be like, I will hold your hand through this. Sure. I will I will keep you company here in the darkness. No one else can come into the darkness with you, but I can be there with yeah. you in the darkness. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense you to me. You try to be with them, but yes. you always end up back here with me, mm-hmm. which is completely true and has been consistently Buffy's choice. Yeah. She really has sought him out. It's imperfect, and he mm-hmm. is, of course, selfish and motivated yes. by his own desire for Buffy, sure. as he has been mm-hmm. for the last couple of seasons now. But, yeah, there is more to their story right. than, yeah. than Buffy being lured into the darkness Right, exactly. Well, I mean, it was like what I said a couple of weeks ago, where I'm just done with dysfunctional relationships. Yes. I'm not blaming Spike for this relationship. I'm not blaming Buffy for this relationship. I'm blaming both of them. Yes. They are yeah. both engaging in this dysfunctional relationship with one another. And it's just, it's not going to end well for anybody. Right. Because we want to believe that relationships empower and and make better. Yes. Both people involved in that relationship that, Though, and this is now hurting I'm them thinking both. about the tradition of that in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and perhaps that's, that's not true. actually part of the thesis statement of this show. The last huh. time that was true, Tara and Willow, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Anya and Xander intermittently. Occasionally, episodes, sometimes, yes, yeah, under mm-hmm. certain circumstances that can work. But yes, relationships huh. pretty tough in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We're going to, of course, continue to track Buffy yes. and Spike going forward, but for now. We have to put this episode on the big list. That we have good. to put dead things on the big list. It is, as I said right up front, emotionally exhausting. Yeah. I do also think that it is incredibly ambitious. I think mm-hmm. that it is incredibly capable. I think that it does in large part exactly what it sets out to do. Yes. That it accomplishes the goals that it sets for itself. This is, I think, Stephen Estenite's finest script to sure, date. Sure, yeah. We'll talk a little more about him when we get to seeing Red in Mm -hmm. in just a few weeks. When I think of this episode, there's a part of the big list from 18 to 20 that I see as being somehow resonant here. 18 is Afterlife. That's 603. That's Buffy coming back. Yes. Then we have The Weight of the World, uh, 521 at 19 on the list, Mm -hmm. which is Buffy catatonic immediately prior to the fight with Glory. Yeah. Which is not entirely, yes, yes. Yeah, weirdly the same here. And then at 20, we have Bargaining Part 1 and Part 2, which Mm -hmm. is Buffy coming back in the first place. Yes. Those episodes seem to me to be the most comparable, Mm -hmm. both in terms of intent and theme and quality. Yeah. I'm looking kind of around there. Is there anything there that jumps no, out No, I think to that you? totally works because it does seem like, you know, when the chips are down, man, Buffy sure does take all the blame on herself, doesn't she? And just determines that That's, I deserve does. no goodness and no love and I belong here in the darkness. And Well, and this is one of the very quiet themes that we're going to look at again and again through the season. Mm-hmm. Buffy's getting to do it now, but we've had Willow break and yeah. turn back to her friends. Yes. We're going to be dealing with this with Dawn very soon, Mm -hmm. with Xander in the near future. We're going to see people do terrible things Mm -hmm. and be forgiven. Yeah. They're going to earn redemption. Yes. That's such a necessary component of the Buffyverse. It really is. Buffy stories love, I mean, Whedon stories in general, love redemptive arcs. Mm -hmm. Buffy is denying the redemptive arc. Yeah. She's going darker and that's... 
oh, it's hard to watch. It really is. It really is. When I look at this list, though, I think I might like this more than Afterlife, which means that it would go in at number 18 right after becoming part one and two, right? After Angel and the Akafo Demon and Close Mm -hmm. Your Eyes and the Portal to the Hell Mm -hmm. Dimension and the everything that is Buffy at its grandest and in some ways most positive and courageous. There are few moments in which Buffy is more the hero Mm -hmm. than she is at the end of Becoming. I mean, the gift, obviously. There are a handful Mm -hmm. of moments. Yeah. But for me, Becoming is the other kind of show that Buffy can be. Right. Whereas this sits more alongside Afterlife, The Way to the World, Bargaining Part 1 and 2. Does that sound good to you? Do you like this less than Afterlife? Okay. Yeah. Then let's put it in there. That's a strong showing for Mm -hmm. an episode which is complicated, has its problems, certainly, but offers us just a heartbreaking vision of Buffy's current situation. Mm -hmm. I think that this plays so much more effectively too when you're watching Buffy the way that we're watching Mm -hmm. Buffy. When you're conscious and mindful of the season arc, Mm -hmm. this really works. If this is your first episode of Buffy... What are you doing? I don't know what you would even make of this show. What did you just watch? Yeah, it was really (laughs) depressing for 44 minutes. And by the way, they didn't catch the guys. There's no natural justice at the end of this show. Going back to SVU. It just... (laughs) Switching over to NCIS right now, you guys. I like my mystery solved. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Dusted. This was a fun one. I think a fun discussion, if not a fun episode. Next week, hopefully, we're going to get both. I hope so. Next week, we're going... It's still dark. Mm -hmm. It's still season six, you guys. But there's a tonal shift. Next week, we get the bottle episode, Older and Far Away, in which Dawn should really be careful what she wishes for. Oh, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. I like that one. Yeah, If you've got thoughts and would like to share them with us, please visit storywonk.com slash contact for more information on all the ways to get in touch or follow at storywonk on Twitter for the latest updates, announcements, and don't think about the evil blood-sucking fiend. Until next time, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Sarah Kate Bazan, and this is Dusted. Dusted.